Okay. Uh, the gospel reading this morning is the gospel according to John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. Thanks, Tim, for reading. My name's Henry. If we haven't met, it's great to see you all here on this Sunday morning. Um, As we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God who speaks to us through your word. We thank you that you um, have given us uh, John's gospel to help us to know who Jesus is. Um, As we uh, reflect on this story this morning, please open our eyes and our hearts uh, to you and transform our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Pandemic. Domestic violence, corruption, exploitation, war, death. These are our news headlines. What do we do with that? Where is this all heading? Our our world is broken um, under the power of tyranny and uh, death and darkness. As we see human leaders throughout history uh, and still today try to establish empires through unjust uh, or violent means uh, for self-serving purposes, today in John's Gospel we're presented with a different leader, an unexpected king. We see firstly the need for a king, secondly we see the nature of the true king and thirdly how we can find ourselves in the new kingdom of this king. So the need for a king, seeing the nature of the true king and how we find ourselves in the new kingdom. So firstly, the need for a king. Let's take ourselves back to first century Jerusalem, uh, to the dusty road leading in to Jerusalem where it's an absolute hive of activity. Uh, It's five days before the Passover festival And swarms of Jewish people are descending on the capital of Israel, coming to attend and celebrate uh, the Passover, where they remember how God saved their people from slavery in Egypt. 
And there's a character on the scene who's created quite a stir because he's done some amazing things. He's turned water into wine. He's fed thousands of people from a few loaves of bread. He's opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. And most recently, he's raised a man from the dead. And this has got the attention of the Jews. Who is it? Who is it? They want to know because the Jews had been waiting for centuries for God to save them. He'd promised a Messiah, a king that he would send into the world to rescue his people from the oppression of the nations. Could this be him? Because the Jewish people, while they'd been in slavery, uh, freed from slavery in Egypt, they were now under the oppressive yoke of the Roman Empire. And they were longing for liberation, for this king to come and overthrow the might of the Romans. The Jews need a king to save them. And all signs point to Jesus. So they rush out to meet him. Date palms are in abundant supply around Jerusalem. And so they grab some palm branches, a sign of victory and honour, and they wave them before him. They welcome Jesus as God's Messiah, the King of victory, using the words of an ancient victory song known today as Psalm 118. They cry out a Hebrew exclamation of praise, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 presents an individual trusting in the Lord who faces the hostility of the nations, uh, those who are enemies. Yet this individual is delivered by God, uh, by God's strength and secures victory against his enemies. And following this victory, this individual is able to enter God's presence as one who is righteous. And he invites the whole company of people following him into God's presence with him, celebrating and sharing in the victory that comes from God's work of salvation. But this psalm looks beyond any king of Israel from the past because no human king could truly fulfill this. It points forward to a greater one, one who, about whom every aspect of this psalm would be true. In the ultimate sense, it points to God's Messiah. As the cries of the people ring out with the words from this psalm, they recognise Jesus as that promised king of victory, the king they so desperately need. And just like the first century Jews living in a world of suffering and injustice, our world today is crying out for a king to save us. A king who will overthrow the nations and authorities that stand against God. Those that live by the world's values of self-interest and self-advancement. We want someone, we, we need someone who will reign with peace. To put an end to violence and corruption. To rule with a different kind of authority that puts things in their rightful place. And to do this, not just in a present earthly sense, but to overcome forever the powers of 
darkness and evil which has our world in chains. God's king has arrived, but how does he achieve this victory? Well, to understand that, we need to understand the true nature of this king. So the energy of the crowd is building. The shouts are deafening. Uh, There's this sense of anticipation and people are jostling with each other to get a look at this king. The Messiah, he's here, he's come. And he's going to be riding into Jerusalem on a war horse in triumph, as all the great kings of the day would do in a victory procession. See, the Jews were expecting their king to come as a conquering military leader who would lead the people into battle and spark a rebellion that would rise up and defeat the powers of Rome. After all, he's the Psalm 118, king of victory. And here he comes with all the expectation and anticipation, with all the fanfare, and he sits on a donkey. On a donkey? What? What is he doing? Jesus has come as the true king, but he's not the king they expect. They expect a great military leader. Instead, they get a guy on a donkey. It's like the queen, instead of arriving to her coronation in the Rolls Royce, she rides in on a bicycle. The nationalistic and political expectations of the people are quelled. Uh, Jesus charging into Jerusalem on a war horse uh, would have sparked an eruption. The people would have uh, risen up to fight against Rome to uh, try and overthrow them. But Jesus doesn't do this. Why? Hasn't he come to rescue them? Well, yes, he has, but not with swords. He's not come to start a rebellion against Rome. Though he will overcome the Roman Empire and deliver the people of Israel, Jesus has something much bigger in mind. But it's not until we understand why Jesus is riding on a donkey that we can grasp who this king really is and what he's come to do. There was a prophecy from about 500 years earlier from the prophet named Zechariah telling of God's promise of a king who would come to rescue God's people. But he'd come humbly and he'd come to bring peace. Now, John gives us the abridged version of this prophecy, uh, but the weight of the words is felt more heavily when we see the full thing. Uh, So let's read from Zechariah chapter 9. Let me read for you. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Now, you'll notice there that he, John has changed the first words of this prophecy. He replaces rejoice greatly with do not be afraid. Uh, He likely takes this from Isaiah 40, um, addressed to one who is bringing good news. And so he's wanting to show that this prophecy being fulfilled is good news. So rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. That's the people of God. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, 
lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. In riding into Jerusalem on a young donkey, a sign of humility, Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy and declaring himself to be not just the Psalm 118 king of victory, but the Zechariah 9 king of peace. This is a king who humbles himself. This is a king who indeed comes to bring victory, but not with violence. He's come to bring peace to the nations, and he will reign over the whole world. This is a king whose nature is not to rule selfishly, not to oppress the weak or exploit the vulnerable, not to pursue greed or crave power. He's unlike the kings of the world. He has indeed come to overthrow the rule of the Romans. In fact, he's come to dethrone every earthly power who would stand against him. And ultimately, he's come to defeat the forces and authorities of darkness and evil, both human and spiritual, that would seek to usurp God's reign in the universe. Jesus has come to establish a new kingdom, but his kingdom is not of this world. It does not share the values and priorities that this world does. It's a kingdom of new values, a new order, with a new kind of authority. It's a kingdom of humility where people put the interests of others before their own. It's a kingdom of self-sacrifice because that's the nature of this kingdom's king. See, Jesus didn't come to fight. He came to die. Everything in the story that John is telling us so far is building towards Jesus being betrayed, arrested, put on trial, sentenced to death by the Jewish leaders. And in fact, it's right after his entry into Jerusalem that Jesus starts to predict his own death. And several days later, he's executed at the hands of the Romans. Jesus is humiliated and seemingly defeated. But somehow, in this upside-down kingdom, this is his moment of victory. As his blood is shed, his blood of the new covenant, God's promise, Jesus takes on the powers of darkness and evil and endures their ultimate weapon, death. And the power of these rebel human empires and spiritual authorities are shown to be false because Jesus disarms them and defeats them as he dies on the cross and then rises victoriously from the dead, freeing the prisoners enslaved by them. While we still see these forces 
at work in our world today. We see evidence of evil, the spiritual forces of darkness. We see human leaders trying to build their own empires. But this is not forever because one day Jesus will return when everyone and everything will recognise him as the king of the universe. Every human empire that is built in rebellion to God will be crushed. Every spiritual authority will be put in its rightful place and submit to him. So Jesus is the king of victory, the king of peace, who came and humbled himself to death before rising triumphantly to bring in a new kingdom where he reigns as the true king forever. So where are we in the picture? Let's think thirdly and finally about finding ourselves in the new kingdom. Jesus invites us into his kingdom. And if we're followers of this king, then we are called to live as members of this new kingdom. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom do three things. Firstly, they know what their king is like. The disciples, we're told, don't get it when they see Jesus riding in on a donkey. They needed to grasp the true nature of the king to understand what he'd come to do for them and for the whole world. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom trust him as the king of peace who rules over their lives and over the whole world. I think often we can forget what our king is like. As you see the chaos in the world around you or the uncertainty in your own life, do you turn to the king of victory and peace, resting in him, trusting in him? Or are you marked by worry, swayed by your circumstances? We need to cast our eyes on our king who comes to us, who comes to bring peace to the world and reorder our lives. He's a good and faithful king that we can trust. And as it says in Hebrews, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have nothing to fear. Secondly, citizens of the new kingdom share the values of their king. So we're no longer bound or controlled by the values and priorities and demands of the kingdom of this world. We are to assume the priorities of Jesus. We are to be people of humility, modelling the humility and self-sacrifice of Jesus, looking not to our own interests but to the interests of others, valuing others above ourselves, not pursuing our own comfort and security, trying to protect our little kingdom, but giving that up for the benefit of others and for the furthering of Jesus' kingdom. Now, we had the state election yesterday. Uh, Hopefully, you got a democracy sausage. You didn't have to wait too long in the line. But I wonder, why did you vote the way you did? Not who did you vote for, but the reasons why. Was it for your own interests or was it to help others? And we have the federal election coming up. As you go to the polling booth... 
who will you be thinking about? Will you be guided by the values of this world? What will achieve your comfort, your security? Or will you reflect the values and priorities of Jesus? Humbling yourself, considering the values of others above your own, particularly of those who don't have a voice, the marginalised, the sick, the vulnerable, the refugee. Thirdly, citizens of Jesus' kingdom, the new kingdom, invite others into it. Of the crowds there that lined that road into Jerusalem that day, there were three groups of people who respond differently to Jesus. There were the Pharisees who opposed him. There were the crowd who'd heard about his miracles and were just sort of curious about him. And then there's the group that witnessed him raise Lazarus from the dead and they spread the word about him. They had witnessed firsthand the power of King Jesus the resurrection power that upends the authority of death and brings in a new order, one of life. And they're so captivated by what they experience that they can't help but share about it, telling others about the life that Jesus offers and this new kingdom that he's come to bring. What about you? Has the king so captured your heart that you can't help but share it with others? that it excites you and you want others to know about the freedom Jesus, Jesus brings from all the darkness in this world. Perhaps you could think about someone you know who doesn't yet know Jesus that you could invite to church or to a meal with our gospel community. Um, someone that you might be able to initiate a conversation with about something deeper that might open a door for the gospel to be shared. Someone that you could pray for. The world is crying out for a true king. And he's come in Jesus. He's the king of victory. He's the king of peace, who's come in humility humbling himself, laying down his interests for the sake of others. He's come to save the world, enduring death but rising up victoriously in triumph to defeat the powers of darkness and death. He's come to establish a new kingdom, overthrowing the current world order, a kingdom of peace over which he will reign forever. And we are now members of this kingdom, rescued by our King Jesus, who transforms our hearts so that we can live for him, that in humility we consider others better than ourselves. We look to their interests as our King has done for us. As uh, it is described in Philippians 2, this king of humility, Jesus, that though being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he gave himself up, 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we exalt King Jesus this morning. We praise you that out of your great love you have sent him as the King of victory and the King of peace into the world. Father, our world is crying out for this king to save us. Thank you that he's come to defeat the powers of darkness, that he comes humbly laying down his life and rising victoriously, triumphantly, to bring in a new kingdom. We praise you for that and we pray that uh, this would capture our hearts, that we would uh, know that we are members of this new kingdom and that we, we would hear Jesus' call. Please show us what it means to live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom, where we live in humility, seeking the interests of others, where we rest in you, trusting you in your peace, where we invite others into it so that more and more people can be freed and enjoy your kingdom. We pray, pray this all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.